welcome to this week's recording of the local news, brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind and the Worcester News. I hope you've all had a very happy Easter um, and welcome back. Our service is free, but if you'd like to make a donation towards the running costs or if you've got any comments about our service, we always like to hear from you. Um, please leave a message in your wallet or give us a ring at Colin Chance House. There isn't always someone here, but if you leave a message, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I'm Sally, and Richard, Penny and Ian are reading with me this evening, and Alex is our sound engineer. We're featuring the news from Friday, April the 7th until Thursday, April the 13th, inclusive. Um, we'll include what's on in the local area, headline stories, general articles of interest, and end with a couple of sporting items. The obituaries will be after the closing music for those who wish to hear them. Um, and the sunrise this morning was 6.06am and the sunset was 8.14pm. So those days are getting longer. And now I'll pass you over to Penny for the thought for the day. The thought for this week is from John 20 verses 1 and 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Uh, moving on now to what's on locally. Firstly, Site Concern Connections Group. Uh, in Worcester is holding an event on the 24th of April. As part of our focus on well-being, Pete Boyle, sports therapist for New College Worcester, will be taking a session on posture, stretching and relaxation. This session will be accessible to all ages and abilities. This is on the 24th of April, 2 to 4pm, and will be held at the Bradbury Centre. Moving on now to Morven Theatres. Uh, firstly, in the Festival Theatre from the 25th to the 29th of April, there is a performance of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Uh, there will be evening performances at 7.30, Wednesday and Thursday matinees at 2pm and a Saturday matinee at 2.30pm. The box office number at Morven is 01684-892-277. On the 2nd to the 6th of May, uh, again in the Festival Theatre, there is a performance of Steel Magnolias. Steel Magnolias is the hilarious and heartwarming true story that inspired the hit film starring Dolly Parton and Julia Roberts. Performances in the evening are at 7.30pm, Wednesday and Saturday matinees at 2.30pm. And finally at Morven, the Morven Concert Club is uh, uh, hosting an event on Thursday the 27th of April at 7.30pm. This features uh, 
music by Ferguson, Mozart and Beethoven. In Worcester, at the Swan Theatre, the Worcester Operatic and Dr Dramatic Society is presenting The Sound of Music from Tuesday the 18th to Saturday the 22nd of April with a Saturday matinee. The evening performances are at 7.15pm and the Saturday matinee at 2pm. And at Huntingdon Hall... There is Andy Fairweather Low and the Low Riders uh, performing on Wednesday the 19th of April at 7.30. And here's a, a reminder of the useful phone numbers. Here at Colin Chance House, the number is 01905 the Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. The Worcester Theatre Box Office is 01905 611 427. And the Morven Theatre Box Office 01684 89 2277. A reminder the police non-emergency number is 101 and the medical non-emergency is 111. Samaritans can be found on 116123 and Worcester Wheels for Transport 01905 450654. And now the headline stories, starting on Friday, April the 7th, Hope on Horizon as A&E Improves. A hospital chief has vowed to keep improving the county's under-fire A&E after inspectors said it had improved. Matthew Hopkins spoke after inspectors said it had improved, but more work was still required to ensure waiting times fall. The rating for the county's A&E department has moved from inadequate to requires improvement following an inspection by the Care Quality Commission, CQC. With the overall rating for Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust remaining requires improvement. The Trust Chief Executive said it was positive news for patients, staff and local communities. Following the inspection in November, a number of immediate actions were taken to address areas of concern for example, improving the way we safely discharge patients home or the place they call home from our dedicated discharge lounges. A detailed action plan following the publication of the report will now be developed and implemented to continue the improvements. Mr Hopkins said the hospital was continuing to work with West Midlands Ambulance Service, WMAS, to cut waiting times and reduce handover delays. A bigger A&E is expected to open at the hospital in Worcester early autumn. Last month, the Trust Chief Executive said, The current situation with long waiting times, up-and-coming industrial action and questions over funding was the worst he had seen in his 37 years. The admission came after he revealed at the start of the year he was fearing prison time for manslaughter over long ambulance queues outside the city's hospital. 
Inspectors visited the county in November last year to examine urgent and emergency care at Worcestershire Royal Hospital and the Alexander Hospital for the first time since 2019. Under pressure hospital staff were praised by the CQC inspector, Charlotte Rudge, who said, We found that despite the considerable pressure, there was significantly improved process to ass assess, monitor and treat patients compared to our last inspection. However, the department was under considerable pressure and assessments and particularly reassessments were not always completed as required. The latest inspection found that patients at the hospital were not always protected from harm. Staff did not always have up-to-date training in key skills, including safeguarding, and staff did not always manage medicine safely. Inspectors also pointed to long handover delays for patients arriving by ambulance and the hospital's facilities were not always appropriate for the services being delivered in them. Not all staff at the hospital felt respected, supported and valued, according to the CQC. Inspectors said overall, services at the hospital were effective and caring in the two good ratings for the Trust, with the three other questions on whether the Trust is safe, responsive and well-led, all receiving requires improvement ratings from the CQC. Despite the improved rating, the Trust was told it must still do more to tackle long A&E waiting times. The CQC rated whether the county's urgent and emergency was safe with an improved rating of requires improvement with effective remaining at a good rating and whether the service was caring was given an improved good rating. Inspectors also rated whether urgent and emergency care was responsive as requires improvement, a step up from the previous inadequate rating and said the same about whether the service was well-led awarding it an upgraded requires improvement rating. Worcestershire hospitals, including Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester, the Alexander in Redditch and Kidderminster Hospital, moved out of special measures after nearly five years in 2020. And the edition for the weekend features a large photograph of Darren Miles with the headline, Chef Faces Jail After Knife Attack. Two witnesses said they feared for their safety. The story continues inside. Chef wielded large knife. A chef who brandished a knife during an argument at a city homeless hostel is now facing a lengthy jail sentence. Darren Miles, of no six fixed abode, became homeless after he lost his place at St Paul's Hostel due to the incident. As Yefna Adams, prosecuting, said... On Boxing Day last year, the 41-year-old had been working in the kitchen. The prosecutor said Miles was intoxicated and went outside for a cigarette, taking a break on his shift, but got into an altercation. Miss Adams said, He goes into the kitchen and brandishes a large kitchen knife. He was saying, They don't know who they are messing with, and they don't know what I am capable of. Two witnesses said they feared for their safety. Stephen Baker, volunteering in the kitchen, told him to put the knife down. He managed to disarm him by wrestling him to the ground. He, Miles, tried to exit the kitchen into a car park, but the door was locked and he never made it out. The court heard Mr Baker's victim's personal statement, in which he said, 
I have known Daz for 15 years. He's done a lot of stupid things. This topped anything before. Miss Adams told magistrates Miles was appearing on video link to the court because he had recently been convicted for arson with intent to endanger life and was awaiting sentence at Worcester Crown Court. She added there were a number of similar matters on his record. Miles, who admitted to the charge of threatening a person with an offensive weapon, bladed article, was represented by Mark Turnbull. The solicitor told the court Miles had gone outside and had an argument over money before picking up the, the knife. Mr Turnbull said some might view that Baker had been brave in managing to disarm the defendant. He added Miles had been remanded in custody since January. After lengthy deliberations, Trevor Burgess, chairman of the magistrates' bench, announced the bench had decided their sentencing powers were insufficient to be able to deal with Miles's case. Mr Burgess told Miles to cooperate with the probation service in the writing of a pre-sentence report ahead of the next hearing of his case, which will take place at Worcester Crown Court on Friday, May the 5th. In 2019, Miles told Worcester News that cooking at St Paul's Hostel helped him overcome his drug addiction after he'd spent his £36,000 inheritance on crack cocaine in six months. He told us, I have screwed up half my life and I don't want to screw the rest of it up. The main headline for Monday, April the 10th. Attack victim hit and kicked. A teenager who punched and kick, kicked another woman outside a city centre fast food restaurant after being told to go back to Tolodyne faces a wait to learn her fate. Tamsin Watkins of Brickfields Road, Worcester, struck the victim multiple times after being wound up by the comment outside McDonald's in the cross. Prosecutor Val Hart said at 8.25pm on March the 24th this year, the victim had initially slapped the 18-year-old. Mrs Hart said this led to an altercation between the pair which had been caught on CCTV. The dramatic footage was shown to Worcester Magistrates Court, which showed Watkins punching the defendant, grabbing her by the hair, before kicking her when the victim was on the ground. It wasn't a quick blow and she walked away, Mrs Hart said. There were several blows, kicks and punches. Mrs Hart said in police interview, Watkins explained she told the victim off for dropping a cigarette which led to the incident. The defendant, who admitted assault by beating, told police she had been wound up by the comment about being told to go back to Tolodyne. Mrs Hart said, although Watkins was hit first, it was not self-defence, as Watkins had accepted her actions, went beyond that with a more serious assault. Jason Patel, defending at the court on Thursday, April the 6th, said of the footage, you see, Miss Watkins tries to walk away. Clearly something is said that brings her back and she reacts to it. The solicitor said the victim had suffered no injuries and had not supported the prosecution. 
Mr. Patel said the defendant had vulnerabilities and added, as it was Watkins' first offence, it may be the magistrates would want the probation service to complete a report on her. After magistrates' deliberations, Chairman of the Bench, Vicky Quarton, announced they were going to adjourn the case for the report. The chairman told Watkins to return to the court on May the 26th for sentencing. Watkins was given unconditional bail, the chairman warning her, if you were to commit another offence while on bail, that would be viewed more seriously. You need to not get into any trouble before May the 26th. At last Tuesday, the 11th of April, the front page of the news shows a lovely summary picture of deflated bouncy castles and slides and and over which is the headline cancelled strong winds stop easter events going ahead and on page three strong winds may worsen says the headline strong winds saw easter events cancelled yesterday and may get worse as a weather warning was issued for the next two days. An inflatable children's fairground near Worcester was forced to close yesterday due to strong winds. The Children's Adventure Fun Park at the Ketch car boot site cancelled the Kids World event and character meet and greet event it had planned for Bank Holiday Monday due to adverse weather conditions. A spokesman apologised to families for the cancellation. It said, Due to the very high winds forecast for today, we are regretfully having to cancel our Kids World event and character meet and greet today. We are sorry for any inconvenience caused, but safety is our first priority. High winds also affected a bank holiday event at the Cobb House Country Park in Witchamford. It had to cancel its bouncy castles due to the weather. A spokesman for the Cobb House said, Unfortunately, bouncy castles are cancelled again due to forecasted high winds for safety. These cannot go ahead. A planned car boot went ahead in the hope that there would be a break in the weather. A yellow weather warning for strong winds in Worcestershire was also issued uh, on the Monday, although was later amended to further west. The strong winds, which are due to a developing area of low pressure running north through the Irish Sea, are expected to be accompanied by some heavy rain, with gusts of 40 to 50 miles an hour possible inland. The Met Office has warned that this will bring the potential for some disruption, with some short-term loss of power and other services a possibility. There are also expected to be delays to bus and train services, as well as air and ferry elsewhere in the country. High-sided vehicles on exposed routes and bridges are also likely to experience delays due to the weather conditions. Reporting this last Tuesday, it says it's expected to be largely dry through much of the day, with the heavy rain and strong winds set to appear later in the afternoon. And tomorrow, Wednesday and the rest of the week are expected to remain wet and windy. 
The Met Office advises driving safely during strong winds, with the extreme conditions making driving more dangerous. Drivers were told to proceed slowly, be cautious when overtaking, and to give cyclists, motorcyclists, lorries and buses more room than usual. And Wednesday the 12th of April, dodgy pot of paint ruined my car. And there's a picture of a pot of white paint all over the floor well of the car and a home base in Elgar Retail Park. A disgusted customer says a faulty painting spilt all over her car but rude staff at the store told her it's your responsibility. Cheryl Barlow had only just bought the Dulux tin from Homebase in Blackpool, moments before it tipped over in her footwell, sending paint pouring across the back of her car. She estimates she was driving at under 30 miles an hour when heading straight on at the city roundabout. To her horror, the paint tipped over and the lid popped off as a deluge of Dulux flooded her car. Mrs Barlow had wanted to decorate her bedroom and bathroom, so headed to home base in the Elgar Retail Park on Tuesday afternoon to pick up paint and rollers, spending more than £100. The 45-year-old of Norton, Worcester, said, After leaving the store with her purchases, she drove along Cotswold Way towards Brindley Road near the Tesco store and was going straight on at the roundabout when she heard a thump at the back of her car, turned her head and did a double take. The paint had tipped onto its side, the lid had come off and it was all over the back of the car. I never would have expected that to happen. It shouldn't come off just going round a corner at 30 miles an hour, she said. The Dulux rock salt filled both footwells in her Hyundai 120. She phoned her husband who advised her to go back to the shop straight away, calling first to let them know what had happened. She was kept on hold for five minutes and told she could come into the store, but it's your own responsibility once the paint has left the shop. It's nothing to do with us, Mrs Barlow said. When she returned, she says the same woman who served her before said, I knew it was going to be you. Mrs Barlow, who has been shopping at Homebase for 25 years, said, I will not shop there again. She described the woman's attitude as very rude, and says the remark was shouted across the shop floor within earshot of other customers. Homebase offered to replace the paint, but Mrs Barlow told them that's really not good enough. She insisted they refund everything she'd bought. I don't want to give them my business. You can have it all back and left the store. She added, I'm just trying to get the message out. There's no comeback, no compensation. Don't buy your paint from Homebase. I'm angry, disappointed and disgusted with the attitude from everyone. Since it happened, she has done her best to clean the car, but she had to throw out the car mats. A spokesperson for Homebase said, We're sorry for the experience Miss Barlow had when shopping with us, and we're looking into her complaint further, including compensation for the damage caused to her car. And the headline for Thursday, April 13th, is fighting to save the NHS we love. Junior doctors man the picket line outside Worcestershire Royal as industrial action continues to rumble on. And there's a photograph of Louise Crawford, Sophie Hayden, Emily Mosley, Izzy Dugtail and Joe Pillsbury who say they are fighting for the future of the NHS and Worcestershire Royal Hospital in the BMA junior doctor strikes. 
Striking junior doctors at a hospital picket line say they want to save the NHS they love, but the government say industrial action risks lives. Yesterday, junior doctors manned the picket line outside the hospital in Worcester, the second of four days of industrial action by the British Medical Association, the BMA. Throughout the morning, car horns and sirens sounded in support of the doctors. However, the health secretary called the strikes extremely disappointing and has issued a statement saying lives are being put at risk. Emily Mosley was one of a group of junior doctors at the hospital entrance in Charles Hastings Way with placards and banners. Other picket lines were also in place at the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch and Hereford County Hospital. The 28-year-old junior doctor said the strike started at 6.59am on Tuesday and would run until 6.59am on Saturday. Miss Mosley said since 2008, junior doctors had received a 26% pay cut in real terms and now they were asking for a 35% pay restoration, arguing that the government had not matched public support shown during the COVID-19 pandemic. She argued that people were now leaving the profession, resulting in gaps in the rotor and in one junior doctor having to do the work of two to three doctors at a time. We can understand why the public would be concerned about appointments being cancelled and understand it's a worry. We are striking for the future of doctors and the NHS. We want there to be doctors left in the NHS to provide the care patients deserve. Louise Crawford, another junior doctor at Worcester, said... We would all rather be inside working and looking after patients, doing our jobs. We love our jobs. We love our patients. It's very sad that we have to get to this. But if we don't do anything, nothing will change. It's not just about pay. This is about conditions and safety and patients. Health and Social Care Secretary Steve Barclay said... It is extremely disappointing the BMA has called strike action for four consecutive days. Not only will the walkouts risk patient safety, but they have also been timed to maximise disruption after the Easter break. I hoped to begin formal pay negotiations with the BMA last month, but its demand for a 35% pay rise is unreasonable. It would result in some junior doctors receiving a pay rise of over £20,000. If the BMA is willing to move significantly from this position and cancel strikes, we can resume confidential talks and find a way forward, as we have done with other unions. People should attend appointments unless told otherwise by the NHS, continue to call 999 in a life-threatening emergency and use NHS 111 online services for non-urgent health needs. Uh, We're now going to move on to the general news stories for the week. Direct London trains cancelled until June. There will be no direct trains from Worcester to London until June. Great Western Railway announced last week that there will be no direct trains from Worcester to London Paddington 
However, this has now been extended until June, with trains only going so far as Oxford, where they will terminate. The disruption is the result of urgent repair works and a detailed safety inspection of Newnham Viaduct between Didcot Parkway and Oxford. Network Rail has confirmed a temporary structure to stabilise the bridge is being installed and the line is expected to reopen by June 10, 2023. GWR has confirmed there is a limited rail replacement bus service in place, but this is likely to be very busy and customers should expect significant delays to their journeys. The replacement bus services are operating between Didcot and Oxford in both directions, offering a non-stop journey between the two stations. Some of these services will call at Appleford, Cullum and Radley for customers travelling to and from those stations. GWR has advised that customers travelling between Worcestershire Parkway, Pershaw, Evesham and London stations should instead travel via Birmingham stations on cross-country or West Midlands railway services which are accepting GWR tickets. At Birmingham stations, passengers will then be able to board an Avanti West Coast service towards London Euston or a Chiltern railway service to London Marylebone. Meanwhile, anyone travelling between Honeybourne, Coombe and London stations should travel via Oxford for, connect, for connecting services. Trains continue to operate largely as planned between Hereford, Worcestershire and Oxford. However, they may be retimed and customers should check before travelling, especially for journeys involving very early morning or late evening services, GWR has warned. GWR has also stated it is reviewing compensation arrangements for season ticket holders and will be in touch with them directly. Customers who have already bought tickets and decide not to travel will be able to claim a full refund or amend their ticket, while anyone whose journey is delayed by at least 15 minutes may be entitled to delay repay. Other services accepting GWR tickets during the disruption, transport for Wales between Hereford and Newport, where you can change for GWR services to London Paddington, Oxford Bus Company Route 35 between Oxford City Centre and Abington, Stagecoach Route S3 between Oxford and Charlbury, Stagecoach Route S6 between Swindon and Oxford, Osney Island bus stop, which is a six-minute walk from Oxford Station, Stagecoach route, route S7 between Oxford and Hanborough, Thames Travel X2 and X32 bus services between Didcot and Oxford. Back in the city, the River Ferry is returning. A boat which rows customers across the River Severn is returning to Worcester this weekend. The Cathedral Ferry is returning on Easter Sunday, April the 9th, where customers can pay just 50 pence to be rowed across the river. Customers can board the Cathedral Ferry from either the footpath between Copenhagen Street Car Park and the Diglis House Hotel, or from the other side of the river near the Premier Inn. Halfway across and amid the swans, 
Passengers can see the length of the river taking in Worcester Cathedral, the busy South Quay and the historic Worcester Bridge. Mark Gossip has been running the ferry ride since 1983 and is happy to be celebrating the 40th year. He said, We started this back in 1983, replacing a daily service which used to take people across the river, which ended in the late 1950s. Since then, it has been a tourist attraction and fundraising opportunity to benefit a lot of charities in and around Worcester. This is made possible by a wonderful team of volunteers who will be operating the ferry. Mr Glossop visited the River Severn today, getting things ready for the relaunch of the ferry trips this Sunday. The trips will be held on Sundays and bank holidays throughout the calendar until the end of the summer. Mr Glossop said, so far we have raised £20,000 for charitable organisations in Worcester. It costs just 50 pence and you pay the ferry operator on the day. There is no need to book ahead. Simply come down to either side of the ferry and just wave the ferry operator down to come aboard. Voting deadline looms. The deadline to ensure you are eligible to vote in the up-and-coming local elections is fast approaching and Worcester residents are being urged to ensure they're registered to vote by the deadline of Monday, April the 17th. This year, Worcester City Council has elections in Arboretum, Bedwardine, Cathedral, Clanes, Nunnery, St Clement, St John, <coughs> St Peter's, St Stephen, Warnden Parish North and Warnden Parish South. There will not be elections this year in the Batten Hall, Gorse Hill, Rainbow Hill or Warnden Wards. This year voters will go to the polls for election day on Thursday the 4th of May. Shane Flynn, returning officer for Worcester, said, Time is running out to make sure you can take part in Worcester's local elections. If you have recently turned 18 or moved home, it's particularly important to make sure you're correctly registered to vote. Remember, if you're not registered before midnight on April the 17th, you won't be able to take part. So please take five minutes to go to www.gov.uk slash register to vote. If you were registered to vote in the last election and your details have not changed and you don't need to take, you don't need to take any action. If in doubt, you can check with the City Council or on their email address or call 01905 722 530. For the first time voters will be required to show photo identification in order to vote at polling stations on May the 4th. You can find out what forms of ID will be accepted and how to obtain free ID at www.worcester.gov.uk slash elections where you can also apply for a postal or proxy vote. Worcester City Council currently holds elections in three out of every four years, with a third of councillors being elected each time. In 2024, the City Council will move to a system of all-out elections held once every four years. Therefore, councillors elected this year will only serve a one-year term. 
Those wishing to apply for a postal vote or a proxy vote where they nominate someone else to cast their ballot paper for them should go to www.worcester.gov.uk slash elections. The deadline for postal votes is 5pm on April the 18th and for a proxy application 5pm on April the 25th. Anyone who does not have one of the accepted forms of ID can apply for free ID either online or by completing a paper form. The deadline to apply for these voter authority certificates is April the 25th. The next story is about rescue of a swan. Plummer comes to the rescue of lost baby swan. A plumber has helped rescue a baby swan found wandering the streets of St John's. Scott King was driving back from a job on Easter Sunday when he spotted the bird looking disorientated in the road. With the help of passers-by, Scott managed to get the swan into a dog cage he luckily had in the back of his van. The plumber from Warnden then took the bird down to the river and successfully released it. Me and a few locals tried shooing the swan to the side of the road, but it wasn't having any of it, he said. I tried the RSPCA, but they were closed, and I thought, I can't leave it like this. It had obviously been on its feet all night and all morning. It was exhausted, but scared as well, and it didn't want to sit down and stop. It obviously didn't feel comfortable enough to do that. Getting it into the cage was an absolute pain, We tried tempting it with bread and everything, but it was only a baby and it couldn't digest it, so eventually I thought, I'm going to have to grab it. One of the other car drivers grabbed a blanket to throw over the wings and I grabbed the neck and we got it in. As soon as it was in the cage, it sat down and relaxed. I then drove about 10 miles per hour through St John's and past McDonald's to the river. When I got it down there, it plodded straight out of the cage and into the river lovely. Scott, who runs the Mr 24 Hour Plumber franchise for Worcester, said the swan didn't appear to be injured, but he believes it had been out most of the night after leaving the swan sanctuary. It looked like the gate had been left open over the holidays, he said. It's usually spring-loaded, but if you open it all the way, it stays open. I guess the baby's the babies have just been wandering up the road at night time and this one got a little bit lost. MP signs pledge to keep people warm. Robin Walker has pledged to help keep keep constituents warm after a meeting with activists in Worcester. A group led by Worcester Greenpeace met with the Worcester MP at the Guildhall in Worcester to discuss the national Warm This Winter campaign. The group discussed topics such as the cost of living crisis, home insulation and school funding surrounding heating and free school meals. John Allen, volunteer for Worcester Greenpeace, said, We are really pleased that at the meeting Robin Walker MP pledged a call for the expansion of government funding home insulation schemes, heat pump installation more investment in renewable energy and further support for vulnerable households with their energy bills. We look forward to hearing from him soon about how they're pushing for the energy bill to work for the constituents of Worcester and make our homes warmer and bills cheaper. 
Robin Walker MP, said he was happy to sign the general pledge, but there was one major topic raised with which he did not agree. He said, I was happy to sign the general pledge, as there was a number of things I was already rallying for in Parliament, such as pressing the government on more green energy usage. I also agreed with supporting a big programme for insulation, which is one of the reasons I backed Rishi Sunak to become Prime Minister. The one element I did not agree with was an end using our domestic supply of gas, as we still need to use it while transitioning to greener energy. If we stopped using it, we would have to rely on other countries' resources, which is not better or greener. This event was one of more than 80 taking place across the UK this spring in support of the Warm This Winter campaign. Warm This Winter is a new campaign from a coalition of over 40 UK charities that is demanding the government acts now to help people struggling with energy bills this winter and to ensure there is access to affordable energy in the future. For more information on the campaign, you can visit www.warmthiswinterinter.org.uk forward slash. On Wednesday, April the 12th, we see the headline pop-up tip hailed as a massive success. The latest pop-up tip has been hailed as a huge success with young children showing pride in their community and keeping their streets tidy. The mobile tip in Warnden took place on Saturday and surpassed expectations, says Councillor Jill Desiree. The Warnden City Councillor wanted as many residents as possible to make use of the Use It or Lose It service in the war against the blight of fly-tipping and when the weekend came, she was not disappointed by the response. Councillor Desera, the City Councillor for Warnden, believed the service could boost people's pride in their community and make life easier for residents. She arrived at Goldsmith Road in Worcester to see the progress for herself. The second mobile tip ran at Goldsmith Road near Wheelwright Close on Saturday following on from the one in Rodborough Close in Warnden on Saturday, March the 18th. She said the latest pop-up tip in Warnden was a huge success. Many residents from the local streets and estates came to get rid of their unwanted household items. Things such as mattresses, sofas, carpet offcuts and various planks of wood were just some of the, what was delivered. The pop-up site was particularly helpful for residents without cars or who find the cost of council collections difficult. Three bin lorries and a large cardboard recycling bin were filled. Amongst those at the site was Ollie Bevan, age 12, of Sadler's Walk, who came with his family bringing along his unwanted five-a-side goal. Keith Best, another resident of the Sadler's Walk, who brought four carloads to the pop-up site, said, These mobile man tips are ideal, and hopefully they will carry on. With these as a regular thing, there's no excuse for fly-tipping. Warnden teenagers 
Harvey and Jaden Cook brought old metal garden tables for recycling. These were large and heavy, and yet they managed to walk them to the site, describing it as so handy and convenient. The youngest contributors were in a joint family effort by Debbie Haywood and Sarah Ballard with Skylar and seven-year-old Lexi May. Ms Haywood cleared her own unwanted items and also made it a community event by collecting bags of rubbish that had accumulated in nearby alleys. She said this is absolutely brilliant and we hope it will continue. Councillor Desera, who asked for the pop-up tips, said these two trials at Rodborough Close and Goldsmith Road have been welcomed by the people of Warnden, who need and appreciate the service. Proximity is the key. One young boy dragged a green bin bigger than himself, containing an old paddling pool along the pavement to the site. I would like to see this service continue. It is an effective way to help people declutter their lives, reduce fly tipping and make the area a more pleasant place to live. I will be asking the City Council to make it a regular event. Crowds flock to city. The suffering and death of Christ and his resurrection was the theme of a powerful passion play which drew hundreds to the heart of Worcester. <clears throat> With cries of anguish and bloody wounds, the performers captured in poignant and sometimes visceral detail the betrayal, death by crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus during the play in Cathedral Square before Good Friday crowds. The Bishop of Worcester, John Inge, was one of those crucified on three crosses set out in a large stage with the role of Jesus played by Ollie Ward. The play vivified the story of the Gospels from Jesus' miracles, the healing of the lame and the sick, to his clashes with the Pharisees who scorned him as a false prophet, to the reward offered for his arrest, his betrayal by Judas and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate washing his hands of Christ's death. The Passion Play, which has its roots in medieval times, dramatised many of the key passages from the Bible, including Jesus' agonies on the cross as he cries out, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The play finished with the risen Christ speaking to the disciples, urging them to repent and love their neighbours and themselves and reminding them that his spirit was in every one of them. Director Tim Crow received a hug from his granddaughter who watched the play, the second one to be performed in the setting after it could not take place in 2020 because of the first COVID-19 lockdown. Among those to attend were Friends Through Faith, Catherine Luxton, 66, and Sharon Stock, 53, of Peopleton. Mrs Luxton said, Jesus died for us to save us, and Easter represents him rising again. She described the events depicted as being of massive importance and said they had a tremendous meaning. Mrs Stock described the play as moving and personal, and Ben Munyanzena, 37, of Life Lifehouse Worcester Elim Church said it was really powerful and moving. We saw it last year and it still felt fresh. There is still so much to take from it. Uh, the next story is Mix-Up Still Not Resolved. A former soldier feels deserted over a metre mix-up as residents press for answers about where, why they are paying their neighbours' bills. 
Michael Hill, who served with the Worcestershire Regiment, he was then known as Michael Hodges, is one of those hit by the metre mix-up in Green Lane, Worcester. The 72-year-old, whose 73-year-old wife suffers from a heart condition, says he feels deserted by E.ON after trying to get the mess sorted out, including contacting City MP Robin Walker. Mr Hill, who has lived at the address for six months, says tenants in the other bungalows have it worse as they have lived there longer and have been trying to sort it out with E.ON for a year. Mr Hill, who suffers from COPD and arthritis, said he had spoken to National Grid about the issue and has been told the MPANS, the Meter Point Administration number, numbers are wrong, which lies behind the ongoing confusion. The MPAN is a unique 13-digit reference that identifies each electricity supply point. Mr Hill, who served as a Lance Corporal in the 1960s, including in Northern Ireland, added, My meter is registered to my address, which is correct, but the MPAN is registered to another address. But E.ON know this. They have known it for quite some time. They keep coming and looking and saying, That's the wrong MPAN, but nothing gets done. What else can we do? I'm told the only ones who can alter the MPAN is E.ON. The National Grid can do nothing. It's such a mess. We are stressed. You feel deserted. Nobody wants to help. It's not good when I helped many others when I was in the forces. Jane Bamford, 58, who is also one of the Green Lane bungalows, affected... Sorry is in one of the Green Lane bungalows affected, said she had also been told the metres were mixed up. Miss Bamford said, I'm still getting my neighbour's bills and she is still getting my bills. If someone moved in and had no knowledge whatsoever of this mess, they're going to end up paying an absolute fortune for electricity and gas that's not theirs. Nobody has been out yet from E.ON. We feel it's not being treated seriously. Flood victims can share their views. People who have been flooded are being asked to share artwork, poetry, photographs that show their experiences of being impacted by floods. The National Flood Forum is joining forces with the Chartered Institution of Water and Environmental Management, C-I-W-E-M, to create an exhibition highlighting people's experience of flooding. The exhibition will take place as part of the Flood and Coast Conference at Telford International Centre in June 2023. There may also be the opportunity to attend the event and give your personal experience of flooding. Tracy Garrett, CEO, National Flood Forum, said, We would like to increase understanding between the industry and those who flood and putting this exhibition of flooded people's experiences into the Flood and Coast Conference gives a chance to do just that. Terry Fuller, CEO at CIWEM, said, We want our conference to place communities at the heart of our thinking and discussions. 
Flood and Coast provides a great opportunity to raise the importance of community engagement amongst the flood risk professionals and decision makers who attend. It is personally important to me that everyone with an interest in flood and coastal risk feels welcome and able to participate. For more details and to submit your contribution, visit zealous.co forward slash C-I-W-E-M-2 forward slash opportunity forward slash flood hyphen coast hyphen 2023 hyphen your hyphen flood hyphen experience hyphen story. Got a lovely headline here, success for county firms. Worcestershire businesses have been commended at a recent prestigious award ceremony highlighting their efforts. On Wednesday, March the 22nd, the Worcestershire business community came together for the newly renamed King's Award for Enterprise. The event, taking place just ahead of the official announcement of the new 2023 awardees on April the 21st, presented the opportunity for the region's 2022 winners to tell their stories and inspire future applicants. By invitation of the King's representative, the newly appointed Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire, Mrs Beatrice Grant, the flagship event took place at DRPG's Head Hartlebury headquarters. The King's Awards will continue as Queen Elizabeth's legacy and reflect His Majesty the King's desire to recognise and promote outstanding business achievements and the value of these represented for economic growth. Worcestershire businesses such as DRPG of Hartlebury, Proteus Investment Instruments of Bromsgrove, Excool of Bromsgrove and the Little Soap Company of Broadway were all recipients of awards. Dale Parmenta, DRPG's CEO, delivered an insight into the business-winning application for a 2022 Queen's Award for Sustainable Development, demonstrating the ethical investment from the company. Proteus Investments is one of only 51 organisations nationally to be recognised with a Queen's Award for Innovation. Managing Director Rob Stevens delivered a presentation summarising what it means to the business to have this symbol of excellence. Excool manufactures cooling units for data centres. The business was presented their award for international trade by the Princess Royal last summer. Excool's CEO John Petty also gave a presentation. The Little Soap Company has an eco-warrior range which was granted the award for innovation and founder Emma Heathcote-James also gave the final presentation at the awards. Nigel Hart, Managing Director of Nexus Creative and Board Member for the King's Awards for Worcestershire, comments, The evening was a great success. It was good to see so many excellent Worcestershire businesses gathered together, sharing ideas and networking, and above all, interested in applying for a King's Award in the future. 
The Royal Seal of Approval for Outstanding Business Achievement is based on four categories. Innovation, International Trade, Sustainable Development and Promoting Opportunity through Social Mobility. For further information on the King's Award for Enterprise and to make an application, you can visit www.gov.uk forward slash kings hyphen awards hyphen for hyphen enterprise forward slash how hyphen to hyphen apply. And the carnival theme has been revealed. Worcester Carnival, which sees thousands of people lining the city streets, has announced its theme for the year. Preparations for this year's show-stopping event are now underway with organisers revealing the theme for this year is Our Colourful World. A spokesperson for the event said it goes straight to the heart of what the carnival is all about, a celebration of everyone we call our neighbours in the city of Worcester. We want it to be a carnival for future generations to remember, one that includes the breadth of the Worcester community and makes a positive impact on the world around us. The charity event is urging performers and traders to apply and take part in the festivities and is offering the opportunity for applications for those aged 6 to 8 to be in attendance. About 9,000 people visited the city centre in 2022 with a two-year hiatus due to COVID-19. The parade will be making its way through the streets and traders can set up a stall or a pitch at Carnival Village on Pitchcroft Racecourse. Traders will be selling artisan food, drink or crafts for visitors to enjoy. Last year's theme for the carnival was celebration and over 30 different groups took to the streets to take part. The crowd was wowed by dancers, street entertainers and costumed characters. An array of performances also took place at the Guildhall last year. Onlookers watched a street dance performed by Beak Breaker, Breakers followed by a King Charles impersonator. Carnival spokesman added, We can't wait to see how the city rises to challenge with surprising and inspiring entries to this year's parade. Floats, walking groups, dancing and a fair few wild and wonderful artistic creations. Worcester for Carnival hopes to bring colour to the city's streets on Saturday the 1st of July at 3pm. The next is a short piece, the headline Singing Goat Filmed for TV. Worcester Cathedral and its singing goat appeared on BBC One. Cameras from the One Show visited the cathedral last month to film its All Creatures Great and Small service. A previous pet blessing service at Worcester Cathedral went viral after a goat called Pablo started singing loudly during the service. Worcester Cathedral appeared on the One Show on Friday night, April the 7th, and is also available to watch on iPlayer. Ahead of the episode being broadcast, the Cathedral has teased that Pablo was up to his old tricks again. And there's a small photograph showing not Pablo a goat, but showing an alpaca in the Cathedral with a member of the clergy. Woman's Blue Badge Trouble a disabled magistrate has spoken about the difficulties of parking near her home and would like a designated bay after getting parking tickets. Anne Conroy of St George's Square in Barbour in Worcester suffers from hereditary spastic paraplegia, a progressive genetic condition which affects her mobility. 
Her concerns come as Councillor Jenny Barnes highlighted some of the pressures upon parking in the Arboretum Ward, which includes parts of Barbon. Mrs Conroy, 66, who has served as a magistrate in the city for the last 20 years, said sometimes she and her husband Michael struggle to find a place in the square. Although not yet reliant upon a wheelchair, the grandmother walks with great difficulty using sticks. People with the condition may develop leg stiffness and problems walking, such as stumbling and tripping, particularly on uneven ground. The grandmother said, Once or twice per week I have had to park on the Keep Clear sign area and have got parking tickets even though I displayed my disabled blue badge. This has happened more than once. I can park in the Keep Clear for three hours with my badge. I'm frustrated. I would like a designated disabled parking space outside my house. I find it very difficult. I walk with great difficulty. Her husband, Mr Conroy, 67, said, She is a blue badge holder, but they won't provide her with a disabled parking because there is a scheme already in operation here. There are no disabled spaces at all. I have lived here for 32 years and I think the situation is getting worse. Another resident of the square said she was trying to secure a meeting to explore changes to the terms of the residence parking scheme. In particular, she said she wanted to look at whether non-residents could park for three hours, as they can do in certain parts of the square, or have a 45-minute window, as it is in the central bays on the square. Both the City and County Council have declined to comment because it is before an election on May the 4th. For you bird lovers, we could report that falcons have laid more eggs at Worcester Cathedral. The falcon laid its first egg on very appropriately Mothering Sunday, but now a total of four eggs have appeared. Peregrine falcon chicks were born at Worcester Cathedral for the first time in more than a decade in May last year. Alongside the return of the falcons, dubbed the Worcester Peregrines, dubbed the cathedral has also launched a live stream where you can track the progress of the falcons. Anyone wishing to see the live stream can log on to worcestercathedral.co.uk forward slash news forward slash peregrine hyphen falcons. And now a historical item, um, who stole one of the huge bells? As this is Eastertide and a most important religious festival, it's probably appropriate to cast an eye over that great edifice at the southern end of the High Street, which is Worcester Cathedral. For it was there in 1863 that a very irreligious act indeed occurred. Somebody thieved one of its huge bells. Worcester's cathedral bells have long been a source of considerable pride and joy. Indeed, the current ring is considered one of the finest in the world and at one time the city had a tradition of bell casting. Maybe that's why in early 1863 a person, or more likely persons, unknown, carried out a most sacrilegious and mystifying heist. After all, what do you do with just one bell apart from melt it down? Answers on a postcard. 
Amazingly, the theft went unnoticed for several months because it was considered highly unlikely, presumably no one actually counted the number of bells on a regular basis. Although you might have thought the ringers would have noticed the treble bell was missing when they rang a peal. Albert, you've gone silent, pull harder. But it was the treble, all 500 weight of it, that went AWOL. Not only that, but it took an American to spot the difference. The Worcester Chronicle was the first to break the news, reporting that one of the great bells of the cathedral has been stolen. It was not known how or when, but it must have been within the last three months. Although the rope and tackle remained, the treble bell had disappeared. Which begged two questions. How did the felons squirrel away the weighty piece, for no one ever came forward having seen any suspicious activity? And why? Being as the bells were designed to be heard across the city, banging one to call the household to dinner would presumably have caused burst eardrums all round. The unsolved theft remains one of the cathedral's most intriguing mysteries, but it did have a happy ending. An appeal was made to replace the bell, and so much money rolled in it was possible to place an order for a new peal of 16 bells. The tower now contains a ring of 12 bells and their total weight is more than 16 tonnes. 15 of the ringing bells were cast in 1928 by John Taylor & Co of Loughborough with a new bell cast by the Wesley Group being added in 2018. The Borden Bell was cast in 1869 and returned in 1928. This is the one that's used by the clock to strike the hours. The ring is the fifth heaviest in the world. The bells are hung in the 1869 oak frame which housed the previous ring and this sits on top of a pitch pine structure which directs the forces down onto the supporting corner pillars of the tower. Shifting one would have required the skills of Fred Dinbar but he wasn't around in 1863, was he? The next article is about the rise in empty homes. Empty home numbers in Worcester have risen in the last decade, according to new census figures. Census figures from the Office for National Statistics show 1,960 of the 46,660 total dwellings in Worcester were unoccupied on Census Day in March 2021. It meant 4.2% of the 46,660 total properties in the area were empty, up from 3.1% in 2011 when the last census was undertaken. Think Tank, the Institute for Public Policy Research, said home shortages have increased sorry, home shortages have increased rents and made home ownership unattainable. It urged the building of more houses to ensure everyone has access to a secure, warm and affordable home. The census took place during the pandemic and the ONS expressed caution that some unoccupied dwelling figures may be inflated due to people living with parents, overseas residents returning home and other lockdown-related restrictions such as travel. Luke Murphy, Associate Deputy Director for Energy, Climate, Housing and Infrastructure at IPPR said the shortage of homes is putting pressure on rents and pushing home ownership out of reach for many. 
So it's concerning that the number of unoccupied homes rose in England and Wales over the past decade. Because the census took place during the pandemic, that may have contributed to the increase. But the rise means the government should look again at policies to curb or control holiday homes, short-term lets and empty homes. However, we mustn't pretend this will solve the housing crisis. We must build millions more homes, including affordable housing, if we're to ensure that everyone has access to a secure, warm and affordable home. The proportion of empty homes varied across the country. London had the most, un the most unoccupied built dwellings at 8%, while the West Midlands, 4.8%, had the lowest. A spokesperson for the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities said local councils should be ex using existing powers to convert empty properties into homes. They said they can increase council tax by up to 300% on long-term empty properties, take over empty homes by compulsory purchase orders and empty dwelling management orders, and convert commercial buildings to residential without the need for a full planning application. We have delivered over 2.2 million homes since 2010 and reduced the number of long-term empty homes by more than 30,000 over the same period. We are investing £11.5 billion to deliver tens of thousands more affordable homes across the country. Service seeks experienced social workers. Worcestershire Children First are recruiting experienced social workers looking to develop their social work career. There are a range of roles for experienced social workers available across the service, including in assessment teams, safeguarding services, through care, supporting families first, MASH and advanced social work, practitioners. There are also opportunities in unique teams that can offer specialist support in the role or create a great range of career paths and opportunities. The teams are area-based, meaning successful applicants would work within local communities, building links with families and partner agencies. Worcestershire Children First promises to ensure staff have the guidance, support, challenge, culture and tools to work well and provide staff with the technology to work in a flexible and mobile environment. Successful candidates will be supported by a stable management team in supportive learning environment that is embedded with regular supervision, manageable caseloads and regular team meetings. Now, really important news, a pub work is still ongoing. The transformation of a former Weatherspoons pub into a new restaurant is still underway. The former postal order in Fourgate Street is being turned into a bar and grill after the pub chain closed the city branch for good in January. Work was quick to begin following the closure of the pub, but there is still no official opening date for the new restaurant. On the front of the building, a large sign remains which reads, Opening soon, bar and grill, and under new management. And there's a photograph shown to prove it. 
Previously, a pile of large planks of wood could be seen through the windows, but the windows have now been boarded up. The postal order was owned by Weatherspoons, which announced its last orders on Sunday, January the 8th. The following day, workers had already moved in and a number of boxes full of items and pieces of wood were laid out on the pub floor. Furniture for enjoying a tipple at Alfresco, including tables, chairs, plants, went from the pavement outside the pub. Although there is speculation that an American diner could be taking the place of the pub, nothing has been confirmed yet. The city pub went up for sale by Savile's estate agency in the summer of last year. In 1997, the postal order first opened and has been part of the city for the past 25 years. The postal order's na name was inspired by its previous use as a post office dating from the 1880s. By the 1940s, the historic building also housed the city's telephone exchange. The postal order closure led to many Worcester news readers sharing their sadness about the news. One reader, Linda Robery, said, I shall miss this place and all the lovely, friendly staff who I class as friends. Uh, Midland Air Ambulance Charity. Pupils at primary schools across Worcestershire have raised more than £6,000 for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity on a Wear It Red Day, helping to fund 12 life-saving missions. Some 31 primary schools took part in a fundraising initiative to show their love for the local life-saving emergency service charity. More than 4,600 children took part in Wear It Red Day by donning red for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity, the site of its famous red helicopters often spotted in the skies. In addition, each school was provided with assembly resources and a video message from Midlands Air Ambulance Charity's air crew thanking the schools for taking part. A bucket collection also took place across the schools so each child could make a small donation if they wished. Charlie Burke, Worcestershire fundraising executive for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity, said, A huge thank you to every single pupil that took part in our Wear It Red Day. The initiative helped raise more than £6,000 for our life-saving pre-hospital emergency service. That is enough to fund 12 life-saving missions, one by air ambulance and 11 in our Southern Critical Care car, which covers the counties of Gloucestershire, Herefordshire and Worcestershire. The engagement and feedback we received from the schools was also really positive and we'd encourage anyone who wants to get involved in our next Wear It Red Day to get in touch. Julie Wills, head teacher at Upton-upon-Seven Primary School, who supported Charlie with the implementation and promotion of the day, said, Midlands Air Ambulance Charity is one of the charities our children's school council have adopted after using its services over several years. The next article is about a planning matter. Green Space Homes plan is turned down. A plant... A plan to build new homes on green space designed to protect homes from a busy motorway has been turned down. The application for principal permission to build up to five homes on green space off Trots Hill Lane East in Warnden Villages has fallen at the first hurdle, having been rejected by planners at Worcester City Council. 
the homes would have been built next to Trots Hill Farm and the Georgian-era farmhouse to the east of the 2014-approved coach house. Planners said the application by John Glackin clashed with all the council's policies on conservation and significant gaps which are supposed to protect land to, between, to keep towns, cities and villages separate and distinct from each other and the important green fields should remain untouched. The council added that despite the plan being relatively small scale, it was still unacceptable and would undermine all its rules on protecting green space. The area, which is home to a number of listed buildings, is already heavily protected because it lies within a conservation area and she is also classed as sensitive with archaeologists believing it to have been populated around the time of the Doomsday Book in 1066, sorry, 1086. The council's archaeologist did not object to the plan, but said the lack of information in the application meant they were unable to decide whether there was anything of high significance still in the ground. The space was also earmarked in 2016 in the South Worcestershire Development Plan, the SWDP, as land which should be protected and has stayed in the current version which is currently undergoing review. Worcester Civic Society said building homes on the green space would erode the character of the valuable land for Warnden villages. Councillor Councillor Lucy Hodgson, who represents Warnden Parish South, had called for the application to be decided by the council's planning committee if officers were considering giving the green light to the work due to the level of concern from locals. Councillor Hodgson said the green space was popular with dog walkers and the important gap between homes and the M5 should stay. Warnden Parish Council also objected to the homes, criticising the plan for building on the fields which protected Warnden villages from the noisy and polluted M5. River dumping a myth. River dumping from water companies is a myth, according to Seven Trent. Worcester News recently visited the Ladywood Sewage Treatment Works near Clains to discuss the highly debated topic of sewage dumping in waterways. Dumping raw sewage in waterways has been a highly debated topic recently, with the Industry and Regulators Committee recently hearing from industry experts and Environment Secretary Therese Coffey about the state of the UK's water industry. Gareth Mead, River Ranger team manager for Seven Trent, said the practice does not happen and that everything is controlled. He said it is a myth, it does not happen. We have controlled permitted processes that we follow. Storm overflows are only used when absolutely necessary and have been around for about a hundred years now. The processes that we follow help to protect homes and business from flooding. If water was not returned back to waterways, this is exactly what would happen. It is incorrect to, to refer to raw sewage dumping as their use is recognised and regulated by the Environment Agency. Opening the doors and explaining the process to people is important in busting these myths.
At the Ladywood Sewage Treatment Works, sewage is collected, sorted and taken through various steps to clean the water before it is returned to the waterways. Mr Mead said, Ladywood is permitted to treat 199 litres per second of sewage and stormwater. Anything over that will go for settlement in our storm tanks. Perimeters are always getting tighter and tighter and water quality is always improving. By 2030, Seven Trent wants to be using just 20 storm overflows a year. For the River Seven catchment, Seven Trent is responsible for 19% of reasons for the river not achieving good ecological status. So 81% of reasons for the river not achieving good ecological sectors are due to other sectors other than Seven Trent. For watercourses across Worcestershire County, 84% of reasons for watercourses not achieving good ecological status are due to other sectors, with 16% within the control of Seven Trent. Everyone has a part to play with the safety of our rivers. Earlier this week, it was announced that over £1.6 billion of new investment will be directed into vital infrastructure to improve the water quality of rivers, lakes and coastal waters. It follows a request from DEFRA to English water companies to accelerate investments between now and 2025 to tackle storm overflow discharges, reduce nutrient pollution from treatment works and address water resilience challenges. While we're talking about Seven Trent water, they have issued a, a warning about harmful items being flushed down toilets. Seven Trent customers are being urged to bin wet wipes instead of flushing them as they are the single biggest cause of fatbergs. Fatbergs are the build-up of unflushable items, grease and fat, which causes blockages across the sewage network. Across the Midlands, in the Seven Trent region, the company dealt with 30,000 blockages in a year, a large amount caused by the wrong things being put down the sink and toilet, such as wet wipes. The Worcester News was recently invited to the Ladywood sewage, sewage Treatment Works to see the effects of the blockages. Water UK's Bin the Wipe campaign is calling on people to stop flushing wet wipes to help protect the environment and prevent homes and businesses from being flooded. The campaign launched as Water UK research reveals that over a fifth, 22%, of people in the UK admit to flushing wet wipes down the toilet. Grant Mitchell, Seven Trent's blockages lead, said, We're supportive of discussions around the banning of wet wipes containing plastic, as well as Water UK's important Bin the Wipe campaign. As we know that flushing things like wipes can have a huge impact on our customers and the environment. This Easter bank holiday weekend will see many children get their hands mucky from their Easter eggs, with many parents using wet wipes to clean them up. Please remember to put them in the bin, the wet wipes, not the children, and not down the loo.
The same message applies in the kitchen as well after your roast dinner. Don't forget to scrape pots, pans and plates into the bin before washing up and always leave leftover cooking oil to cool before throwing it away to help prevent any blockages that could lead to flooding. Severn Trent is the UK's second biggest water company serving 4.8 million homes and business customers in England and Wales. Its region stretches from Mid Wales to Rutland and from North and Mid Wales south to the Bristol Channel and east to the Humber. The company delivers almost 2 billion litres of water every day through 50,000 kilometres of pipes. A further 93,000 kilometres of sewage pipes take wastewater away to more than 1,000 sewage treatment works. And now for some sporting items. Starting with Chris Corns insists he's the right person to lead Worcester City. Manager Chris Corns was left fuming on Monday after his side's calamitous display in the 3-1 defeat to Romulus, but insists he's still the right man for the job at Worcester City. It was more schoolboy defending from City in the second half of the defeat to Roms, with one long ball forward from keeper Josh Benton setting up Dylan Hadley's opener. Luke Shearer's brilliant header made it 2-0 before another mix-up at the back followed a counter-attack for goal Owen Watkins for the third. And after the game, a visibly irritated Corns admitted he felt as if he was failing, but insisted he's still up for the task. We have gifted them three goals. We made it so easy it was an embarrassing second half, he said. Since I've come in, how many goals have we been gifted? Not many. But a lot of goals we concede, 85 to 90% are gifted. It's not good enough. I don't want to threaten players, but I have a job to do and at the moment I feel like I'm failing. I was brought in to save the club some money and save us some relegation and have done the rebuild and have already begun the background. I'm confident things will be different next year and I believe I'm still the man for the job. The boss has emphasised that players are playing for their place in his squad next season, but suggested certain players are doing themselves no favours. I've been saying the same thing for the last three or four weeks until I'm blue in the face, added Corns. There's a few games left and players are playing for their futures. It's a tough time for managers and you have to get rid of a few and bring new ones in. Every manager has to do it and it isn't always nice. Some players threw in the towel once the first goal went in on Monday and as a manager you want to see players run through brick walls for you but six or seven didn't and there's another nail in the coffin for them. City are back in action again on Thursday with a rearranged home game against Highgate United. For now we need to put some performances together because the last two or three haven't been good. Then we have six or seven weeks to rebuild. We need to try and put smiles back on fans' faces. It's personal pride thing for me now and a chance to try to give back to fans who have stuck with us all season. I just think we let them down on Monday. It was an embarrassment really, so I think we owe them the fans an apology after that and we need to put it right. The next story is about Worcester Warriors. Atlas respond. The soon-to-be owners of Worcester Warriors see no reason why the club should start at the very bottom. The soon-to-be new owners of Worcester Warriors, Atlas, see no reason why they will be required to start from the very bottom of the pyramid if and when the club return to competition. 
The club have been in administration since October 2022, but Atlas, directed by Jim O'Toole and James Sandford, were revealed as a successful bidder by administrators Begbie's trainer. On Wednesday, the Rugby Football Union stated that a new Worcester Warriors site could restart at the bottom of the pyramid in season 23-24, but this would be right at the bottom. But Atlas don't seem to agree that that would be the case and released the following statement on Wednesday afternoon. We see no reason for a new Worcester Warriors to go to the bottom of the rugby pyramid, said Jim O'Toole. We are still in constant dialogue with Starbridge RFC about the proposed commercial sponsorship with their first team playing as a rebranded Worcester Warriors in Regional 1 Midlands in 23-24, with the goal of a return to championship level rugby within five years and their migration to six ways. That remains the aim, subject of course to Starbridge membership approval, firstly, then RFU consultation and approval. We also recently explained that we will be setting up a hardship fund which will be managed by an independent body with funding to be made available to those who were most critically impacted by the insolvency of the previous business, including local businesses. We have shown our resource and commitment to the local community by taking on all running costs of the stadium and and staff since exchange which in turn has given comfort to staff that the stadium would remain open, that they would be paid on time, and that the Warriors Women, the Warriors Foundation, Midlands Academy, Worcester Raiders and the many other events could continue on site while we move to completion in the coming weeks. We look forward to bringing rugby back to Six Ways as soon as possible, providing jobs for the local community and bringing back life to the venue, which will benefit the whole community and be, and our next statement will be in relation to competition in due course. Lioness gets a special cap. Worcestershire's own Lioness has been awarded a special cap. Debbie Day, 64, was among the first players to represent the national team earning five caps for England between 1976 and 1978. She was the 34th woman to play for the side and has now been recognised for her contribution with a legacy cap. It was a proud moment for me and a long time coming, said Debbie. I'm really pleased that we are finally getting the recognition we deserve. Debbie was one of more than 60 former players invited to St George's Park on Tuesday, April 4th to receive their individual legacy caps. During the Lioness's 50th anniversary last November, it was announced that every player to have represented England since their first match against Scotland in 1972 would get their own unique legacy number, with Debbie's being 34. She was joined on Tuesday by the likes of Anita Asanta, Carly Telford, Carol Thomas, Faye White and Queen of the Jungle, Jill Scott. Debbie added, I was sat with my old teammates chatting and we didn't realise what we had done. We didn't realise we were trailblazers. We just enjoyed playing football and happened to be good at it. Debbie was born in Birmingham and moved to Worcester when she started to play football. 
During her career, she played for teams in Droitwich, Redditch and Leicester and supports Birmingham City, whom her dad Dickie played for in the 50s. She made her debut for the national team against Italy on June 5, 1976 and went on to score two goals in five matches. As players did not get paid, Debbie worked full-time for several blue-chip companies before purchasing a golf club in Evesham in 2001. She sold the business in 2015 to enjoy retirement and currently resides in Peopleton near Pershore. During the presentation on Tuesday, Debbie watched Serena Weigmann's squad train ahead of the finalissima against Brazil tonight, which she predicts they will win 2-0. Her players were so open and grounded and thankful for what we had done. Back in the day, we were footballers, but now they are proper athletes. It was brilliant to meet them. They are all legends of the game, and meeting Serena Weigmann was just excellent. Wonderful headline from April the 11th. Fantastic pairs get off to a perfect start. Worcestershire head coach Alan Richardson and skipper Brett Stolivera praise their side following an opening win to start their county championship campaign. The pairs were set at a 1-9-2 target to win after taking the last four Derbyshire wickets on day four for 74 runs in 25 overs of five balls including three for pace bowler Josh Tung. Opener Libby and Azar then batted with great authority during a decisive second wicket stand of 139 as Worcestershire triumphed with 24.5 overs to spare. Libby, 104 not out, scored an, an unbeaten 100 whilst Azar, 62, chipped in with the majority of the rest. Worcestershire took 22 points from the win, including three points for bowling and three for batting. After the contest, Richardson was full of praise for a fantastic performance. It was a tricky little chase. As soon as you start getting over 150 and you're close to 200, you think anything could sort of happen, he said. I thought Jake Libby applied himself brilliantly well and his and Azar's partnership broke the back out of it for us. The last thing you want is for them to get a bit of momentum and take some early wickets. We started nice and positively. I think they mean the last thing of the opposition to get momentum. Ed Pollock got out quite early, but he had given us that little bit of momentum to start off with. The wicket got a little bit flatter as the game went on, so as long as the guys applied themselves, which they did brilliantly well, and played positively with some nice intent, a fantastic performance. There were a number of considerable contributions over the four days, both with bat and ball, as Worcestershire produced the perfect start to the campaign. Matthew Waite scored an unbeaten century in the first innings, and also took four wickets with the ball in Derbyshire's opening innings. D'Oliveira battled to a ter terrific 89 in response. Day four also saw a sensational stumping from wicketkeeper Gareth Roderick, which skipper D'Oliveira pinpointed as a key moment. 
Gareth Roderick taking that stumping on the fourth morning was absolutely crucial. And Adam Hose making a diving catch at third slip, he added. All those little things add up and put us in a position to win the game. Matthew Waite scored 100, Jake Libby scored 100, and guys in the bowling unit chipped in throughout. Joe Leach, I thought, was tremendous throughout the whole game with the ball. He leads the attack and he is a leader on the field. I said in the dressing room afterwards that it was a real team victory, although individuals stood up at different times. And that is the end of our contribution for this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. The obituaries will follow the music, so it just remains for us all to say, keep safe and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. And now for the obituaries. John Walter Kirk passed away peacefully on the 6th of March, age 91. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 18th of April at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations to St Richard's Hospice may be sent to AV Band Funeral Services, Worcester. Christine Hobbins passed away peacefully on the 13th of March. Her funeral service has already happened um, on Friday the 14th of April. Family flowers only, but donations for Acorns Children's Hospice via E.J. Gummery and Sons in Worcester. David Bolter passed away on the 27th of March, age 79. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 20th of April at 1 o'clock. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for either Worcester Animal Rescue Shelter or Macmillan Cancer Support may be left at the service or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. And Rosemary Carr, nay Goodwin, died peacefully on Thursday the March the 30th, age 90. The funeral will be at St Kenelm's Church, Upton Snodsbury, on Thursday, April the 27th at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please, and donations, if desired, for Crisis and Centrepoint UK may be sent to E. Hill and Sons, Pershaw. And we send our best wishes and prayer, thoughts and prayers to the family and friends recently bereaved at this difficult time. <laughs>